Amen. Again, so good to have you here with us this morning. The book of Genesis chapter number 30 is where we're going to be reading. And if you have a copy of the handout there from the bulletin, you will notice that our Scripture text today is quite lengthy. So this does not mean that I will go any longer than I normally do, I hope, which is usually quite lengthy anyway, so <laughs> not sure why I feel like I should apologize, but in the departure from what I normally do, we're going to approach things a little bit differently here this morning. I'm going to read through the entire text. Make some comments as we go, and then we'll spend the last few moments hopefully hopefully applying these words to our lives. But our focus today will be on the last few verses of chapter 31. There we see patriarch Jacob, his father-in-law, Laban, sit down. Together they make a treaty between the two of them. After all these years of fighting and scheming that goes on with them, an agreement is reached on how they will conduct their affairs. And in this treaty, it is proclaimed that the Lord is a witness between these two men. Using a pile of stones, they use them as a witness between them, but more importantly, the Lord becomes witness in these men's life. What I want us to see today is how God, as we serve Him and we follow after Him and we live for Him, how God is and will be a witness in our lives. Our lives are open and transparent before Him and no matter what happens to us or what we do, God Himself is a witness. He knows. He sees. He judges the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And God is our witness. And so again, if you have your Bibles or your phone open or wherever, and I should just encourage you here, make sure you do bring your Bibles or at least have it on your phone. Um, it's important that we read the Scripture, that you hear them, that you see the words. We take time to apply them to our lives. So, again, you know, whether you bring a printed Bible or an iPhone or some generic knockoff Google phone, make sure you bring them. Hear what God will say to us. But we begin here in, in Genesis chapter 30 and beginning in verse 25, and we read these words. It says, As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go. My own home and country, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given to you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. And so we talked about last week in chapter 29 and 
First part of chapter 30, Jacob's family is growing. He is growing as a man, as an individual. His family is growing. His, his wealth is growing. He comes to realize that what he has is actually not his own. It's Laban's. Begins to realize that the time has come to head back to his father's house. So he goes to his father-in-law Laban and says, I want to go. I need to provide for my own family. The only problem is Laban realizes that in Jacob he has a good thing. I mean, Jacob is really turning a, a very good prophet for Laban. So Laban tells Jacob, I have learned by divination that I am blessed because of you. Of course, what do we mean, what does Laban mean when he says that he has learned by divination that God is blessing him because of Jacob? And we realize, of course, that there is no power in divination. There is no power in sorcery and magic. But we also realize that sometimes God uses different means to reveal himself or maybe the fact is Jay Laban really didn't learn this by divination. I mean, it's just apparently obvious. You know, someone likes to stand up and say, well, I've got this prophetic world that this is going to happen in the, in the election. And it's like, well, I hate to tell you this, but it's pretty obvious the way the country is going and the way the polls are going and showing. Laban's not a believer here, but, but we know that God maybe is speaking to him and real, helping him to realize, you know what, I have something good. My son-in-law, Jacob. Verse 29, Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For he had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has, has blessed you wherever I turn. But, but now when can I provide for my own family, my own household also? Glad you're getting rich, Laban, but I have to look after myself. I don't know if you realize that, but I'm now up to 10 or 11 kids here. Daughters of yours keep putting people in front of me and we keep having children one after another. Fine, says Laban, verse 31, what, what shall I give to you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and every spotted and speckled among the goats and they will be my wages. So my honesty will answer me for, for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone has not speckled, speckled and spotted among the goats will be black. Among the lambs, if it is found with me, will be considered stolen. Jacob says, okay, let's make a deal here. You want to pay me? Let's separate the speckled and spotted sheep and goats and the black lambs, all those will be mine, and the white sheep and the black goats will be yours, all the solid colors will be yours, and all the striped and spotted ones will be mine. I'll take the odd-looking ones, if you would, the ones that maybe don't appear to, appear to be as pure and as good. Laban said, verse 34, let it be as you said, but notice, it happens here in verse 35, but that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted. 
And all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on and every lamb that was black, and he put them in charge of his sons. He set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. I even says, that sounds like a deal. I'll take the white lambs and the black goats, and you can have all the spotted. Jacob says, fine, let me go and get ready and I'll go out and we'll make this separation. And while Jacob is gone, Laban begins to separate him and he begins to take some of the spotted sheep and goats. And he takes them and he gives them to his son and says, go about three days journey so that Jacob will not find out. Laban is deceiving and tricking very own son-in-law. Verse 37, Laban, Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees. He peeled white sticks in them and he exposed the white of the sticks. Verse 38, he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink the flocks, Bread in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, spotted. Jacob sent, separated the lambs, and he set the faces of the flocks toward the striped, and all the black and the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. And whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels, donkeys. So what's going on here? Jacob takes some trees, some sticks. He puts them in front of these lambs and these sheep and these goats. And, and what is happening here, I'll tell you, I have no idea. Maybe it's because I didn't pay too much attention in biology class, but the fact of the matter is this is probably a Folk custom that Jacob is following. You remember last week I mentioned to you how Leah's son Reuben found mandrakes. Mandrakes were supposed to increase fertility, supposed to be an aphrodisiac that would, that would help one to become pregnant. And, and she takes them and she's all excited because Jacob is, is going to be with her because she has these mandrakes. And Rachel in desperation is like, give me some of those because I need to get pregnant. What is going on here ultimately is a blessing from the hand of God. God is providentially pro providing and blessing Jacob. And we're told there at the end of this chapter that the, the man increases greatly and he has large flocks and female servants and male servants, camels and donkeys. What Jacob is doing in ignorance, unaware, doing what is thought to work in the ancient culture of the ancient Near East, God is using and blessing and working and 
God is providentially blessing and working through Jacob's life. And, and we realize that and we see that too in our own lives. Sometimes our businesses, the places we work for, don't always do things that are God-honoring, but yet somehow there's a blessing there, and that blessing allows us to work there and earn a living and use that living to give to the work of God, to give to the work of missions. Sometimes God uses even wicked things or wicked cultures to to bless His people. And and this is what God is doing because what we are going to see in the next few chapters is how the promise to Abraham and Isaac is becoming, starting to take shape, find its fulfillment here through Jacob and through his seed. Jacob is being blessed though. His flocks are growing. He's increasing greatly and of course this leads to chapter 31 and first verse and what we read here now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying Jacob has taken all that was was our father's and from what was our father's he has he has gained all this wealth Jacob saw the Laban did not regard him as before the Lord said to Jacob return the land of your fathers and your kindred and I will be with you. As Jacob is growing in wealth, his relationship with his in-laws is growing cooler. Laban is seeing that Jacob is, is prospering and it's bothering him. His sons or his brothers, brothers-in-law seeing that Jacob is doing really good and, and it bothers him. I mean, after all, look at these poor sheep that we have for us. Look at Jacob's rich and fat and well taken care of sheep. Verse 4, chapter 31, Jacob sinned and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was. He said to them, I see that your father does not regard me a favor as he did before, but God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. God did not permit him to harm me. He said, the spot will be your wages and all the flock bore spotted. And he said, if the stripe will be all your wages and all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. The breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped and spotted and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes. And see all the goats that mate with the flock, their stripes spotted and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Notice what Rachel and Leah says here in verse 14. They answered and they said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us. He has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Kind of an interesting passage when you think about it. Jacob goes to Leah and Rachel and says, Hey, your dad doesn't like me anymore. We need to get out of here. Both of his wives say, guess what? He doesn't 
like us anymore either. After all, think of what Laban had done to both Leah and Rachel. I mean, Rachel was all set to be married and she thought her day was coming and Laban hides her in the basement and locks the door on her and winds up giving Leah to Jacob to be married to. Leah's all excited because she's getting married and her dad comes to her and says, oh yeah, you can also marry Rachel as well. Sorry, I tricked you. And Leah has to face the scorn of a husband that doesn't love or care for her and Jacob. Rachel and Leah are realizing that Laban really, really doesn't care for them like they ought to. Say, go ahead and do what God has told you, told you to do. Go ahead and, and, and go back and we will go with you. Genesis 31 verse 17, Jacob arose. He set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Jacob tells his wives, we're going to get away. And he said, fine, when are we going? And Jacob says, well, we got to shear the sheep here in a couple of days. I know he'll be out in the field all day or for a couple of days. So, so why don't we wait till then? And that day comes and Laban takes his sons and he goes out to shear his sheep. And Jacob is like, it's time to go. Let's go. Rachel, where are you going? I'll be, I'll be right back. I'll be right back, Jacob. Go ahead and start without me. I'm coming, right? In just a moment. Verse 20 I read there says, Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean, not telling him he had intended to flee. The word tricked is probably not the best interpretation. The idea behind this is that Jacob actually stole the heart of Laban. In other words, this was really the last straw. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of tension and a, and a lot of... A lot of coolness, if you would, between the two, but when Laban gets up and realizes Jacob is gone, that's it. He is ready. He's ready to kill and take Jacob's life. The coolness is turned into anger and hatred. This is the last straw. Laban is going to punish Jacob. That's what we see here in verse 22 when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob, Jacob had fled. He took his kinsmen with him and he pursued him for seven days. He followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and he said to them, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Seven days the chase is on and finally, finally the camp of Jacob is spotted. The spy comes back, the advanced team comes back to Laban and says they're camped right over there. Laban says, okay, we'll, we'll attack early in the morning. We'll, we'll go and wipe them out the next morning and, and take our, 
flocks back with us. That night, God shows up to him. He says, don't you dare. Don't you dare touch Jacob. Verse 25, Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me and driven away from my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and song, with tambourine and lyre? Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishness. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone away. Because you long greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom your gods or with whom you find your gods will not live. Presence of our kinsmen, point out what is yours. Take it. Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen it. There's one thing you need to learn today. Don't don't promise God that you'll kill anyone that has something that belongs to him, okay? You'd think the guys in the Bible would learn that by now. I mean, Jephthah, don't promise that you'll offer anything that comes out of your house as a sacrifice. Jacob, don't promise that you'll kill anything that has Laban's household gods. It seems like when you do that, God says, okay, <laughs> we'll see how true you're going to be. But look at what happens here. Jacob is, Laban is, is warned by God. He's, he's intent on harming Jacob. And, and God shows up to him and says, don't you lay a hand on him. But of course, God does not warn Laban and say, don't you scold him. So he does. He does. Why didn't, why didn't you tell me? We would have, a, we would have a, a going away party for you. We would have big song and festival and music. And, and let me kiss my, my wives and my children, my grandchildren. It doesn't mean just, you know, give them a hug and kiss like you do when somebody is going away. He's talking about blessing them, giving them the, the patriarchal blessing. Why? Why didn't you let me sin? them out in such a matter. Then, of course, the question, why? Why did you steal my gods? Why did you steal my household gods? And, of course, Jacob doesn't know that Rachel has stolen these gods. And so look what happens here in verse 33. Laban went into Jacob's tent. He went into Leah's tent, into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And when Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's. Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in a camel's saddle and set on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but he could not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you. For the way of women is upon me. Search, but he did not find the household gods. You know, there is really great irony in the fact that, that these household gods, so important to Laban, are being set upon 
by a woman who's going through her monthly cycle. I mean, these gods are so strong and so powerful and so mighty, and yet they're hidden away in a camel's saddle and set upon by an unclean woman. Reminds me of the story of Elijah there on Mount Carmel. Prophets of Baal are crying and are praying out, Oh, Baal, send fire! And Elijah mocks them. And the Hebrew literally says, Elijah looks at him and says, Maybe, maybe Baal's in the bathroom taking care of his business. It is amazing, isn't it, that these gods that are so important, and we do that as well. We, we, maybe it's not a statue, but we have gods. And you look at them and say, really, your God is so important that it cannot do anything on its own but what you help them. Laban looks and he tries to find these gods and he walks away empty-handed and he comes back to Jacob. Notice what happens here in verse 36. Jacob became angry. And he berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin? That you have hotly pursued me. For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Setting here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hands you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day the heat consumed me and by cold the night. I sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock. You have changed my wages 10 times. The God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side. Surely you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he has rebuked you last Night. You ever been told off by somebody and you realize it's far more than just a little thing they're getting on to you about? And 20 years of frustration, 20 years of anger, 20 years of being out on the backside of the desert. Okay, the shepherd is not this soft little guy with his nice little candy cane staff and his beautiful little long hair and his white robe. I know that's the way our pictures show it. These guys sat there and they sweated like pigs during the day. At nighttime, they froze themselves to death. They fought wild beasts and it cost them many animals as they came and took sheep from them. They sit there and they mess with him over and over again. Jacob says, you have changed my wages over and over and over again. You have done me dirty. He lets it all out in these words, doesn't he? 
reps on his father-in-law and in this diatribe, and Laban realizes Jacob is furious. Jacob is angry. Jacob lets it all go in that speech. Laban realizes he needs to do something. He answered and he said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all you see is mine. Tries to defend himself, but what can I do this day for these daughters or their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant. I mean, after all, I'm the patriarch of the family. I'm the head of the family. Let's, 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 these are really mine, but let's settle down here. Let's make a covenant. And let it be a witness between you and me. And Jacob took a stone. He set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. They took stones and they made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. And Laban called it Jager Sahadutha. Jacob called it Galid. Laban said this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid. Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me. and We are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives behind, beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness. Laban realizes he's not going to win, and so he negotiates with Jacob. The pillar of stones are set up. Laban calls him in an Aramaic name. Jacob calls him in a Hebrew name. Both names simply mean a heap of witnesses. The writer is wanting us to know, though, that this is a clean separation. Jacob is separating from the Arameans. He's separating from his old life. He is going back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Verse 51, Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and this pillar which I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness. Pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of the Father, judge between us. Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Isaac and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country. He called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and they spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and he kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them and Laban departed. Return home. And so there you are. We read through this text and the question becomes, the question becomes, what are, we, what are we to do? What are we to do with this narrative? You don't necessarily run around and pile up rocks today as witnesses. We don't sit there and make stones of, of rocks. And you, and you see how important that is in, in the Old Testament. Even in Joshua, as they crossed the river of Jericho, they set up a pile of stones as a witness, as a memorial. But we do know this as we go through our life, we go through life understanding that God is witness. We go through life understanding that God is watching over us. 
That God is seeing our lives. And most of all, God's providence and blessing and goodness is working in our lives. And so as we look at this extended passage of Scripture, we notice, first of all, that the Lord is, the Lord is witness on how we live our lives. He's witness on how we live our lives. I mean, we look at this story, and again, we see the broken, awkward relationships of Jacob and Leah and Rachel and Laban, and on and on we realize that these people are a mess. You're sitting there making plans for the holiday, and you think, man, do I really have to go around my family? They're so crazy. Well, it could be worse. You could be a part of this family. I mean, Laban, Laban takes advantage and, and deceives Jacob. You know, Jacob comes and, and he says, I'm your sister's son. You're my uncle. Oh, come, come and, and work for me. And, oh, everything's good. What do you want me to pay you? Well, well, give me Rachel. I think she's so beautiful and I want to marry her. Laban's like, that's a great deal. I mean, I'd love to have you work for me for Rachel. Goes out, night of the wedding, it's not Rachel, it's Leah. Jacob talks about it. You changed my wages ten different times. I said I'll take the spotted one, and you stole all the spotted sheep. Sheep started producing spotted ewes and lambs, and and you said, no, I'll take the spotted. You have the plain. Then they started bearing plain sheep, and you're taking them. Laban takes advantage, deceives Jacob. Jacob takes advantage of Laban. Goes out there and throws those sticks in the watering troughs of the sheep so that they will bear the way that he wants them to. Laban mistreats both of his daughters. His daughters turn against him. Rachel steals from her father. Rachel's brothers are turning against Rachel's husband. All this is a reaction to how they're living and conducting their lives with each other. It reminds us in our lives that, that it matters how we treat each other, how we interact with each other, how we live our lives in the midst of those God has placed within them. We could go on and on, but for the sake of time, I'll just read you one scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We may not be here making piles of rocks between each other. But God is witness on our lives and how we live. 
And that's why Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 4 when he's talking about the church and the church growing in unity. And part of the church growing in unity is when we as the church take bitterness and wrath and anger and we lay them aside and we put them away. We learn to be kind to each other. Tender-hearted, forgiving. That's why Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who would evilly treat you. That's why Paul said, imitate God and walk in love towards each other. It just does not matter how much we love God. We must also learn to love one another. God is witness. God is witness. If you go to our house, and I'm sure your house is probably the same, we have a fireproof box, at least it claims to be. I've never tried it out and don't really want to. In that fireproof box, is a piece of paper from McKean County, Pennsylvania that says from this day forward, I will promise to love and cherish and care for Mary Ellen Elizabeth Cart. And you're here and you're like, I, I, I don't have a paper like that. I've lost it. It's fireproof box. It wasn't fireproof. Maybe that's the case, but God is witness. God is witness. God is witness. I didn't have to sign those for uh, my three sons. I don't know what I signed, to be honest with you. (laughs) The guy gave me a break. It was the middle of the night, and I was all messed up. I still have nightmares because the epidural needles are this big, I promise. And they get bigger every time I tell them. But maybe I don't have them. Maybe I just have a, a, a birth certificate that says that they were born this day and I am one of the ones. But God is witness. God is witness. Yeah, we never signed a contract saying you can come to church and be here with us, but the fact that you are here, God is witness that we are to love and care. Pray. I didn't choose them. I wouldn't have chose them if all, well, I don't care. They showed up and you showed up. So guess what? God is witness. that We will love each other as a body and a family of Christ. Jacob and Laban take these stones and they pile them up and every time Laban would see those stones, he would be reminded, I promised I would care for Jacob. And every time Jacob saw those pile of stones, he was reminded, I care for Laban's family, my wives, his grandsons, his granddaughters. It's more than that, though. We could talk about that for a while. It's more than that. This is also a reminder to us that the Lord is witness, that He will be faithful, that God will be faithful.
to his promises. That's my second point this morning, the main point, that God is witness that he will be faithful to his promises. We need to see in this text is what we have spoken of over and over and over again through the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. That is the fact that God is showing, He has shown Himself faithful to His Word and His promises to His people. God is preparing through Jacob to continue to fulfill His Word that He gave to Abraham many, many years ago. We go back to Jacob's dream in Genesis 28. Verse 13 of Jacob's ladder, the Lord stood above this ladder and he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Verse 14, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south and in you and in your offspring will all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So what we see at the end of this chapter 30 and through chapter 31 is God is preparing the way for His promises to Jacob to be fulfilled. He's providing wealth providing great and an incredible wealth and, and understand God is not against His people having wealth. What matters is the heart. And so when you see your famous prosperity preacher on television they're telling you that God needs to give them a, a nice Gulfstream jet, you have to ask, is it so that they can spread the gospel or is it so they can avoid us little people in the TSA transportation lines. They got to have a jet because it's a long distance between their beach home in Malibu and their beach home in Florida and their beach home in Costa Rica, and they got to get there. But that's not what God is doing here. God is blessing and preparing Jacob so that he can begin to fulfill the word that he gave to Abraham and Isaac and to himself. We talked about it again and again. God gives Abraham one son. He gives Isaac one son. Now we see where Jacob winds up. It's not one or two, but twelve. Twelve. He uses this tension between Jacob and Laban so that Laban or Jacob would not just be content to live in the land of the Arameans, but so that Jacob would understand that he needs to go back to the land of Canaan. And in Jacob's desire to go back home, God is preparing a way for his people to enter the promised land. And we have to ask ourselves this question. If God is faithful to Jacob as he was to Abraham and to Isaac, will God not be faithful to you and I as well? 
We don't need to set up a pile of stones. We don't need to go and file a pile, find a pile of stones on the border of Israel and Syria. We can go to a cross and a hill called Calvary. And we can see there on an old rugged cross that God is witness to his faithfulness. God is witness that he is who he says he is. And he will do what he said he will do. And it was Martin Luther, as I spoke about earlier, who was asked why he was having success and seeing revival going on. He said, I'm not doing anything special. He said, I, went, I simply went and preached the word of God and then I went to the pub and I drank beer and God's word did the rest of the work. God's word is what does the rest of the work. We as Christians can stand on the word of God because we know that it is alive and it is true and God will be faithful to do what he said he will do. His word will come to pass. So I ask you this morning, why are you putting your trust in a God that you're hiding in your camel saddle that your wife can sit on? Why are you putting your Trust in a God who's going to die one day and we're going to bury him or her? Why are you putting your trust in a God who maybe they're making you a lot of money, but that stock market's going to crash? I mean, it already has in our case, but all that money that you think you have is going to be gone in a moment? Why are you putting your trust in your beauty? Knowing that the beauty of individuals fades like the flowers in the field. Why are you putting your trust in things that do not last? God has promised He will be faithful to you. Can you not trust in His faithfulness and in His goodness? Can you not see that God will be faithful to you as He was to Jacob. Yes, Jacob had to learn some difficult lessons. But we're going to see next week that God shows up to him again and his life is dramatically changed. I want you to know this morning that God is wanting to tell you today. Maybe you need a stone. Maybe I should have went to Home Depot and bought a bag of rocks and passed them out to everybody. You don't need that. Take your Bible. Read it. Realize God is who He says He is. And He desires you and I to live a life that's pleasing and honorable to Him because He is faithful. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. Worship team, if you want to come.
Lord, we come to you this morning. We come today and we we look at our lives and we look at everything that's going on and we ask ourselves this question, can I really trust you? Can I really live for you? Can I really be who you want me to be? Can I really live a life of holiness, a life that is pleasing to you? And your word screams to us, even through this sordid tale of a man raising sheep and moving his family, your word screams to us a yes. Yes, you can be faithful and you will be faithful. And you are faithful. Father, I pray that we would remember that truth. That we would learn that truth. That we would live that truth. God, we would come and we would surrender ourselves to you. And we would realize you are a faithful and a good and a righteous and loving God. Lord, help us not to put our faith in idols of men's doing and men's fashionings. Help us to put our faith in the one true God, knowing and understanding that you will watch over our lives. If you're here today and you're wondering and you're questioning, let me remind you this morning, God is faithful. God is faithful. Give your life to Him. Live for Him. Serve Him and follow Him. And see God will do what He said He would do. And Lord, confirm Your Word in our hearts this morning we pray. Well, thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand? Let's sing this song.